Welcome to The Current, a podcast produced by We Stand for Energy. We Stand for Energy is a community that supports a reliable, affordable, and sustainable energy future for everyone and is a project of EEI, Edison Electric Institute, the National Trade Association representing U.S. investor-owned electric companies. My name is Christine Telford, Managing Director of External Affairs at EEI, and I am your host. I'm excited to have here with me one of EEI's distinguished member companies. We have Rick Thigpen, Senior Vice President of Corporate Citizenship at PSEG. Thank you, Rick, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. We're thrilled to have you. Rick, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what brought you to work in the electric industry? Thanks, Christine. Yes, I can. And it, it is, of course, a long and winding road is the real story. But having said that, first off, my background, I am a lawyer. I used to work in the world of mortgage-backed securities on Wall Street, believe it or not, many months ago. And I did leave that world to join the world of politics and public policy, becoming the district director for the first African-American ever elected to Congress from the state of New Jersey. His name was Donald Payne. And during the course of that tenure, he was chairman of the Black Caucus, as well as a series of other leadership roles. So I learned public policy and politics. And and in that job, I represented the headquarters of a company named Public Service Enterprise Group. And so interaction between the company and the congressman happened. I then became a, I then became the executive director of the New Jersey Democratic State Committee, which was a job with the simplest job description I've ever had to elect Democrats to office. And it was a full-time job of campaigning and working in that world. I then left that job and became a partner with the executive director of the Republican State Committee in New Jersey to form a lobbying firm in our state. And so immediately before I came to work for Public Service Enterprise Group, I was a lobbyist in our state capital, handling a variety of different issues. Frequently, issues of participation and social justice came into mind. And one of my earliest clients was an investment bank, an African-American-owned investment bank called Williams Capital in New York. And they were interested in participating in the recently publicly authorized stranded cost bonds, a product of deregulation in New Jersey, deregulation of the generation sector in New Jersey. And it was thought that many of those assets were stranded costs. And at the time, he wanted to get in on a deal. I approached some executives at public service and they told me, no, they had no room for any new bankers. I then picked a fight with public service and began to organize lots of political support for them to open their eyes to the issue of diversity in the state of New Jersey. And the pressure worked and it became very successful. And that pressure led me to becoming an employee of public service. That's the short version of it. So I've discovered that knowledge of public policy, knowledge of the political and public affairs landscape in the state of New Jersey has proven to be a very useful asset for the business and for the utility to be successful. So hence, I've been able to stay in spite of the fact I did not come from the energy sector. That's the short answer. I like it. Yes, it is. I like it. Someday we'll get we'll get the long version, but... Oh, it's, it's a hell of a story. It really is. <laughs> well, PSCG is known for its commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion, Can you tell us how have DEI efforts within the company evolved and what specific initiatives have been implemented to promote a more inclusive workplace? So that's a very interesting question you've raised, and I will couch it in the language of the practical and the realistic. DEI efforts at public service have evolved over the years because 
the demographics of the state of New Jersey and even more so of our customer of our service territory have evolved. And in order for the company to continue its reputation and, and record of success, the company has begun to evolve with it. Like any doctor knows, the diagnosis of the illness really dictates the treatment and the cure. So DEI, therefore, is a very controversial subject. I happen to be a native of East Orange, New Jersey, which is right in our service territory. And so I'm African-American and I've grown up in this area and I have family who've been here. And so we have a perspective on the issue of DEI. I'm aware of a need to remedy things that have happened in the past from my perspective and having DEI initiatives that are effective at doing that. As a public policy matter, inclusion for all is realistically the only way to go forward, to have a workforce where everybody has an opportunity. Here at Public Service, for instance, we have the need for more opportunity for women than we've had in the past. And so inclusion for all is the challenge that we've embraced. For me personally, it does not mean that we should ignore the fact that the history and animosity towards African-Americans has many times been special and still requires some special treatment in order to overcome so that we can really have inclusion for all. So I say all that to say, in public service, we are on the journey of inclusion for all. It's it's changing the nature of our workforce. It's It's enabling us to interact with our customers better. It's enabling more people to come here and feel welcome. And it's a challenge that is also has enormous external benefit because I'm in corporate citizenship. It's here for a reason. In order to be successful at executing our business plan, we need our stakeholders, our customers, our regulators, and the politicians who represent the state of New Jersey to have confidence that we are acting in the best interests of the people of the state and our customers all the time. And inclusion for all in a diverse workforce is a part of making that happen. It would be very hard for me to convince you that I'm an expert on women's issues and that I should be making policy on women for you. However, if I have women employees here, my credibility increases quickly. So now that goes into the world of clean energy as we try to plan for the future and try to meet the changing expectations of our customers. So we're doing things like inclusion for all, making sure that people get the skills to work together with people from different backgrounds, different religions, different genders who come from different parts of the world and still treat them fairly. We're working on in, in improving the diversity of our workforce, which means making sure we participate in some of these communities that people have access to the training and the preparation nece necessary to come to public service and be successful employees. We have pre-apprenticeship programs to help people become candidates for the unions. We have partnerships with historically black colleges now, and also partnerships with county colleges and the colleges in New Jersey, so that a broader variety of, of individuals have the expertise to come here. And then the last, but maybe the most difficult part is the constant training of the people who are here to make them understand that we all have unconscious biases. We all have things we have to pay attention to and that we've got to do a better job of spotting talent just because, it, just because it comes from unconventional sources. And that's a long answer, but it's designed to make the company greater and stronger in the future. But this is a very controversial topic because people have a very different view of what the past held for them. So therefore they have a different view of what to do in the future to be successful. That's great, Rick. And kind of what I took away from that is that you all are making great strides and efforts and in really including 
and representing the communities in which you serve, right? And so that is so important. a mistake to ignore the fact there are real challenges, but we are making great strides. And more and more people are beginning to believe this is about making the company more successful, not about ideology and politics. Wonderful, wonderful. Let's discuss the importance of ensuring that diverse communities have access to reliable and affordable electricity. How does PSC&G engage in issues such as electricity and security and customer costs? And how can the electric industry at large help tackle this issue? So the first thing is our mission is to provide universal access to energy. That speaks very powerfully to the question you just asked, right? So first off, because I'm African-American, that has no impact on my access to electricity or to my energy insecurity or security issues. It's my economic condition that drives that. And there is absolutely no doubt that the statistics are very clear that people of color are more likely to reside in and around the neighborhood of poverty. And so there are some elements of diversity and, and, and that type of politics that do go into energy insecurity issues. But the company that has the responsibility for universal access also has the enormous opportunity to be the public sector's provider of universal access to all of the energy solutions that public policy believes are good for the customers and the people of the state of New Jersey. And so that's a privilege. Inside of that privilege is the challenge of the fact that there are people who do live in poverty. And even in New Jersey, one of the wealthiest states in the country, there's a significant amount of poverty that exists here. And there are programs at the federal government and at the state government level, the payment assistance programs, and it's our job to make sure people have information about and have access to. It's our job to have deferred payment arrangements and steps like that to make it as easy on people as possible to meet their obligations in good faith. And it's also important to do things like energy efficiency. As we are talking about the transition to cleaner energy, cleaner is more expensive, generally speaking, today. And that means we've got to help people use less energy to continue to be a part of the overall equation of continuing to make energy affordable. That does open up some very complicated doors in the public policy range because did you just say, I've got to pay for your energy because we want to make it available to everybody? And so there's some serious political issues that go with this, but it's our obligation to provide universal access and then our obligation to hopefully tell the public policymakers what it's going to take to effectively do that. Energy insecurity at the World Bank and at the United Nations is one of the key elements of poverty status. You can't live the American dream and have a decent lifestyle and have no access to electricity. So cutting people off brings lots of issues. And I talk all the time with the elected officials who represent the people who've been cut off by public service. So now I'm intimately sensitive to the concerns that are raised by those people. So working with the government, working inside the company, having public policies that are sensitive to the needs of people we cannot afford to leave Americans without access to electricity for long periods of time. And that's a real issue that all of us have to focus on as we continue to transition to clean energy going forward. That's great, Rick. And, you know, I, I love the fact that you said universal access. And I know as an industry, it really is an honor and a privilege that our companies have the obligation to serve all customers, right? That is so important and it is paramount. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. 
Yeah. Let me just add to that. So it provides us an enormously important role in any public policy about the future energy policies in our state. We are the ones to guarantee that everybody will have access to it. There are lots of private providers and people who, who want to play the marketplace to you know, address the needs of the more affluent. So it gives us also a very important role. It's a shield as well as an obligation. Absolutely. You currently serve as chair of the PSENG Foundation and are a member of various other nonprofit boards. What role does philanthropy play in achieving equity? And are there any initiatives that you'd like to highlight today? Philanthropy pays an important role in achieving equity. I am, it's a privilege. It, it, it's the PSEG Foundation. I am the chairman of the board. We pay attention, our founder's motto that we still live by today to help make New Jersey a better place to live and to work. That means paying attention to the real social and economic ills of the state. And there's two sides of philanthropy. Our foundation is designed to be strictly philanthropic. We have buckets of giving that are about sustainability, economic empowerment and equity and social justice. We've used those buckets because we believe they give the foundation a platform to help address some of the societal needs inside of the state and to help the state become a better place for those who have challenges they're facing. We also have corporate philanthropy, we call it, designed to hopefully support the interests and needs of people in the communities in which we're doing business and sometimes disrupting those communities by digging in their streets or constructing infrastructure. And so it, it's our mission to be a successful corporation, to leave communities better than we found them as much as possible, to understand that there are needs of the people to make our state better, and to be viewed as a corporation that addresses the needs of the people in New Jersey. And it's my belief as chairman of the board of the foundation that, frankly, it is that attitude that's an important part of the, of the corporation being successful in executing its business strategy and earning the, uh, the right to be a leader in making energy policy in this state. And That's then great. as for special initiatives, we're doing different things to make sure that our business creates economic opportunity, whether it's building electric infrastructure in lower income neighborhoods, which is a necessity. They need electric infrastructure as well. But we do it in a way that we can hopefully that we share the opportunity to create jobs in those communities, that we hire vendors from those communities, that we spend our money in those communities so that they share in the success of public service. We'd like people to think that when public service succeeds, the people in the state of New Jersey succeed. And one of the things I'll talk about, and maybe it's not the right place, but I think it is, is we're doing things like in our energy efficiency work, forming strategic partners with community organizations to create jobs for people to enter the workforce and sometimes be trained to do things that they were not able to do before, at the same time to help execute a very important part of public policy, help our businesses and our residences use less energy to reduce the carbon footprint and at the same time, create economic opportunity for a whole new generation of young people. I'll just add that not everybody appreciates the value of philanthropic efforts to pay attention to how the corporation can have a hand in solving problems in different communities and sometimes have a hand at the charitable level in solving problems caused by operations or, or construction in different communities. And in fact, I think that these philanthropic efforts are increasingly in a world that is becoming more diverse, an important part of managing your regulatory environment. For most utilities, the regulatory environment is a key element to executing, successfully executing the business plan. 
and the politics that help shape the regulatory environment are a fundamental factor that corporations need to pay attention to, manage successfully so that they can do what is their core mission of value creation and not be engaged in other activities that really cause extra costs and extra delays as you're trying to execute on the mission of providing safe, reliable, and clean energy to the customers in your service territory. That is great. That's that's great work you all are doing, Rick. Well, thank you again for joining us today. Do you have any other closing thoughts you want to share before we close out the episode? I would. I would like to think that the success we're having at public service will make everybody want to have a corporate citizenship department to pay attention to how they interact with the communities that they they serve, to listen to their customers, and to be a partner with them, and to help make the business more successful by how you're engaging with your customers, by how you're making the communities you serve better, and how your success is their success, and how that helps your regulator respond positively to the things you ask them to do. The 2024 political environment, which is increasingly contentious and having people trying to pull our country in different ways, is going to pose public utilities and a special challenge on how to maintain a dialogue with people on on all sides of the political conversation, to be respectful to people who have different perspectives, but also to embrace those who are deemed an important part of shaping the regulatory environment that you operate in. And that's a calculation that is unique to every service territory. But it does mean that things like environmental justice and social change in many scenarios have an important role to play in making sure you you advance the corporation's interests. And it also is fair to recognize that there is substantial opposition in some sectors to that type of conversation. So you have to be very careful about how you do it. And you have to use terms that are not meant to be divisive. And you have to try to focus on the practical benefits for people, not on the ideology of it. So I expect 24 to be a very challenging year for all of us public affairs executives in the utility world as we try to continue a dialogue with all sides of the political spectrum and be respectful to people, you know, no matter what their political beliefs are. Fantastic. Well, Rick Thigpen, thank you so much for joining us today. Appreciate your thoughts, and it was good to talk with you. Thank you, Christine. It's a great pleasure to be here. We hope that you found this to be an informative 15 minutes, and we look forward to bringing you additional expert insights on energy policy. To learn more about EEI and the electric power industry, visit www.eei.org. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast by searching for The Current and We Stand for Energy.